Hello everyone. Welcome to a new episode of the Tech Loop podcast. The only podcast made to teach and inspire young minds like you to pave your way into various disciplines of tech. In this episode, we are joined by Mr. Pavan Pudilla, a Google developer expert, a speaker, an author, an innovator, open sourcer and the director of technology at Publicis Sapien. Thank you for being here today, sir. and we hope to learn and be inspired by your guidance welcome sir let's get into it um i think we should start from the very beginning let's start from scratch so your beginning of of your journey in tech so how much of a role would you say your college played in helping you with your career since the majority of our listeners are our college students how would you say they should utilize their time in college and make the most of it mhm Yeah so I think I was lucky in that aspect um, because a lot of the learning I did was not necessarily what was part of the academics or the curriculum and much of it happened because of inspiration through my peer group and uh, I was lucky enough to have folks you know who were interested in a lot of topics outside of the curriculum so they would explore things like on you know, a kernel level of programming you know installing linux at the time trying out different flavors of linux and understanding operating systems at a much more deeper level Uh, not just what you read in the books, right? It's also about you know how things are written in code, and uh, how do you pe- people actually build stuff like this, like in open source, for example, right? And Linux was one of the most uh, widest uh, possible used uh, in open source softwares at that time, and we didn't really understand open source, uh, but it was mostly uh, knowing the fact that you know the code is available online, so if you can go read it, I think you can learn from it. So many of us actually we spent time learning individual subsystems of the operating systems, and then you would have groups where we would actually explore and talk about it and i was more interested in the front end and in you know, ui technologies and things like that so i spent most of my time you know, looking at genome or kde and uh, you know trying to understand things at that level and i was obviously not really trained and i had no formal background in actually knowing how to build uis but purely through reading other people's code i was able to you know explore and see the patterns in which people think and how do you communicate between a front end and the back end and, and we didn't even know there was a front end and back end at the time so it was all just an application for us um so a lot of it happened through peer groups i would say so if you are in college right now and uh, i would i would very strongly suggest uh, that don't limit yourself to what is being taught in school or your institution because that is not really what the world is doing at this point uh because if you think of the education system right and many of these things have been established probably 5 years or 10 years before you even joined your institution so the curriculum may not really be the most uh, you know, current uh, in what is being taught and also the uh, our teachers and professors you know they may not be in you know, abreast with what's happening in the industry because you know not everyone has a connection to the industry right so uh, so explore the industry by reading blogs watching youtube uh, not for binge watching you know other stuff that you see on youtube but uh, you know stuff which is useful right in general and uh, try to spend your four years or uh, you know your undergrad discovering your own passions The first year, as we normally do, is you know we uh, try out different fields of engineering, right? We have all mixed together in the first year, and then we branch out from the second year onwards. So this is a good time to kind of you know explore and see you know what is really the thing that attracts you the most, and you know, gets you excited in the morning, and something that you would like to do for the next couple of years, and uh, you know pursue and go deeper into those areas. I particularly liked graphics even before I joined computer science, so I was naturally inclined to look into you know. the vga cards and you know how graphic systems are built and computer graphics and 3d modeling and things like that so it was just natural for me but uh, for some of you guys you know if you have multiple passions and multiple interests you know i think finding that one thing which excites you might be difficult <laughs> um so try to spend some time in you know, exploring that and once you do that you know i think uh, it will be obvious to you what to do next because you always find gaps in your knowledge and you'll always have something to explore uh but the motivation has to come from within so don't look for external factors you know to help you with your motivation but try to find that within by doing your own explorations so yeah two things when you are a college student find a good peer group where you think you can you know really enhance your skills outside of the curriculum and uh, also you know finding a true passion which will excite you for the next couple of years yes so that's a very good point actually finding a good peer group because they i think they push you to learn something new and you put any sort of challenge yourself and there's always a challenge when you're with your peers so if your peers are challenging you it's always good for growth so that's a very important thing so um keeping with the theme of that so i i think another um an important thing or it might be a question a lot of um young students mind is when they get into tech 
often they'd like to learn many disciplines of tech. So they get into mm-hmm. ML, front end, back end, design, everything. So they just want to be, um, you know, a jack of all trades, <laughs> the master, yeah. um, you know, jack of all trades. So according to you, is it better to, you know, stick to one single domain in tech or should you like have a brief knowledge of all the technologies? So in short, um, would you suggest a person be the jack of all trades or the master of one? <laughs> That's actually a very good question and uh, probably the most confusing aspect of, you know, uh, building a career, right? I mean, what do you do? Like, do you do only one thing and go deep into it or do a lot of things and become a generalist? And I would think of it as the human body, right? Uh, everything is connected together. Your arms and legs, you know, although they are separate organs, they're still connected through the same nervous system, right? There is a blood flow happening to that. And, uh, you know, there are muscle groups which control different parts of the body. And no single muscle group is acting on its own and doing its own thing in isolation, right? They're all connected in some way or the other. And if you have a headache, it doesn't mean that the pain is only in your head, right? It could be somewhere <laughs> else also, <laughs> right? Yeah, it could be a heartburn yes. of some kind. <laughs> so... You know, think of, think of, think of a career also as a system of connected things, right? Uh, when we talk about jack of all trades, it's really about finding the group of things which are connected together to really enhance and, you know, uh, emphasize your core skill or that master of, uh, the master skill, right? Rather. So there is a primary skill that you should focus on, but also focus on the, the jack side of things, which is the secondary skills which are required to really build up that primary skill. And everything is like a pyramid, right? Uh, the core of the FX is always going to be the one which you focus on and how you define yourself in your career. The front-end guy, you know, CTO of something, you know, ML engineer, whatever it may be, right? That will be your FX. But at the base, you still need to understand computer systems. You still need to understand operating systems. You need to understand networking, databases, because these are all related in some way to help you do and achieve your FX, right? So think of the connected systems that are linked to the primary skill and then try to build them together. And, um, and I think that's, that's a good way to kind of, you know, enhance and build up your career also in the future. And there'll always be things which are things which are outside of your primary core expertise, but it doesn't mean that you should completely ignore it because in some form or the other, everything is connected, right? The world is connected in different ways, not just technology, but even other disciplines like biology, chemistry, uh, physics, um, health sciences, yeah, right? Uh, these are all related. Uh, just a very simple fact I'll give you that, uh, even though you're a programmer, you still need to understand the ergonomics of sitting properly, right? Because if you don't sit properly, then the blood flow to different parts of the system won't be good and you'll start feeling knee pain or have some kind of back issue or it could be whatever other things, right? So even though you're not a, a doctor or a chiropractor or an orthopedic yourself, you still need to understand the basics, the fundamentals which will help you kind of live a more holistic life. And think of your career also as a more holistic thing, right? Uh, they're all connected. And find the connected network and then, you know, try to learn things which are related to your course. That's a really good point. So thank you for bringing that up. I think all of us as students, we're usually hunched over, you know, coding something or watching something yeah. and that really affects a lot of us. Especially in these times now. Yeah. Yeah. So bringing that holistic approach, that's that's really nice. So thank you. All right. So, um, so we know that you do um, work with Flutter as you have extensively. So Flutter in today's scenario is rapidly, it's growing at a very rapid rate. So according to you, is it possible to build websites or even window applications with it? In short, I would just like to see what, what do you think Flutter is going to go next? Where do you see Flutter growing or going forward in, in the future? Yeah, I mean, if you take a step back and look at what Flutter is really contributing to the field of application development, it is the idea that, uh, you know, you should only focus on writing your front end once and have it work on multiple uh, target systems, right? And could be a desktop application, could be a mobile application, and so on. The face of your application could change. You know, it's like changing a mask, right? I could switch masks on the fly. But the, the core is still the same. It's the same person, you know, switching between masks, right? So what Flutter really is uh, giving to the world is the ability to think of your core, which is kind of staying the same across different uh, end-user systems, and trying to build that in a unified fashion and then only switch between the operating systems or the target environment so that you write your core once, uh, code once and have it deployed on multiple systems. So I think that is a core uh, contribution in my opinion. And uh, so true to that uh, idea, I think it will be available on almost all the platforms that's available today. And uh, so if you learn it once and understand the principles of cross-platform development, which and then I think you can pretty much do everything that you're doing right now with multiple technologies, right? So today you might be using React for building websites, 
you know like core and ios or swift are for building your ios applications using android and java or kotlin to build your android applications right so these are all different systems and the way you think about the abstractions in one system be very different from the abstractions in another system right the apis could be different the terminology could be different the way an approach to solve a problem could be very different but what if you could unify and build a common abstraction and a framework around which you think and you know then build your target application i think it's kind of simplifies our whole load that we have to take as a programmer right i mean i don't know how to keep learning a new system just because i had to build an application in say android versus ios versus web versus desktop right and if in the future we'll also have iot which will be you know smaller devices with smaller performance profiles uh we will be more demanding in terms of you know how much you can actually deploy on them so these things add a lot of uh, extra overhead and as a programmer i don't really care about you know how big and different are these systems are all i care about is you know having some functionality useful enough and make it available to my customers and if i could do that in the least possible amount of time with uh, the least amount of effort we're all lazy after all <laughs> then i think uh, i think that's a win win for everyone so so google is i think kind of you know, pushing that notion forward and uh, i would be surprised in the future and i think they are already you know, supporting a lot of different platforms already right and some of them are in beta right now like web for example but i think in the future you know you will see this being deployed in multiple systems and as programmer community uh, it gives us you know kind of relieves us of learning too many things and kind of focusing on one thing and doing it well exactly so right as you said so um it's you know slowly spreading its wings and sort of diverging into cross platform development So according to you how long do you think it will take before we it um, we sort of incorporate it into like production scale environments so how long do you think I think like yeah I think it will exactly take 2 years 6 months and 7 days right <laughs> very very precise <laughs> obviously so whatever i say is not going to actually you know come out exactly the way i'm talking right uh, and nobody knows how it will pan out but uh, one thing is for sure that you know the as an industry we do look up forward to solutions which will help us simplify the amount of work we have to do and uh, the rate of growth is only you know a directly proportional to how much of uh, less fewer things we have to learn in order to you know get where we want to go and if our ideas can be converted into working code very quickly then that's a platform that we'll all adopt together right so flutter is being is definitely touted as one of those platforms you know which uh, everyone can learn quickly without having to kill ourselves right um so i would say uh maybe in the next one or two years so you would see a much wider adoption and uh seeing you know, a lot more uh, job opportunities uh and market opportunities in terms of uh, you know getting uh, uh large scale applications being built in that and multiple verticals you know they are still trying out different things right i mean right now it's the era of augmented reality uh you know ease of use you know multi touch and you know maybe voice based recognition and all that and all of these are already available on flutter and it's just a matter of you know, combining things together and if you can combine things together and assemble things together very easily with the flight plugins and all that i think it's a good platform to work on and flutter is definitely providing and proving itself to be that kind of a platform um so yeah two years probably and i think we should see you know flutter being used in a lot of places yes so we'll we'll keep that in mind so if it'll be amazing if it's actually implemented i think it would help developers as you said in many fields so sooner the better let's hope it comes as soon as possible yep. so yes um all right so so um just another question do you think um the phenomena of no code will help companies to create efficient and reliable web applications so i mean definitely no code is here to stay uh, in the sense that you know even though think of yourself right i mean uh, if you are using wifi at home are you really setting up a network by being an admin by you know connecting all the cables you know wiring things together and you know configuring systems all the time just because you have to use wifi right as a end user you care more about you know using the functionality and getting a job done right so there are situations in which you know where you are the expert so obviously you want to go deeper into it and you know kind of you know tweak around things but there are also a lot of situations and scenarios where you you are not the expert and you are just an end user right so low code platforms uh, you know are catering to a crowd of people who are not the experts in programming but they still want certain things to be achieved you know certain functionalities to be built in their application or in their uh, business uh, domain which you know not always requires you know relying on in you know, a development strength right so if you have for you know just regular business folks who are excel users and if they can you know kind of cobble things together you know with uh, drag and drop interfaces and you know combining things together and so on 
then they could get their functionality in uh, much cheaper ways but yet achieve their business goals right so efficiency is not always defined in terms of uh, how fast it goes efficiency is also in terms of you know, how quickly can i you know deliver business value without having to you know learn programming and you know, operating systems and networks and apis and lab libraries and technologies like flutter and all that right so there is a class of people who would always you know benefit from that kind of uh, platforms like no code platforms and there's always other class of people you know where they realize that these no code platforms have some limitations where they can't solve all possible problems that a business has and you do need the development team at some point to kind of build things which are very custom and outside of what a low code platform can build for you so in those cases obviously we'll engage with a regular development team and you know get it done and there's also a different kind of efficiency required over there mostly in terms of speed load performance in terms of handling large volumes of data and so on uh, so in those cases and i think you would go with regular development approaches but for everything else uh, this mastercard so i'm just joking but uh, for everything else <laughs> you, know, you could go for a low code platform all right sir um again coming to another topic sir so what did it take to create such a large packet like package like mob x can you talk us maybe through the process of creating such a widely used state management system just walk us through the process of how it came to be so yeah so so i didn't start the javascript port of uh, mob x you know what i did was uh, i was a contributor to the mob x javascript uh, project and then i realized that you know, when i came to flutter it was sorely missing so obviously i implemented it first before learning flutter and uh, so the journey has been mostly about understanding things at a much deeper level so even though i was a contributor earlier you know i, I did not know everything about mobix right there were places in the code which i just kind of ignored because it was not really important to me uh, but once you're building and porting a package from one platform to the other you literally have to know every line of code because every line of code you now write in the new platform has to have a meaning for it and has to be a well defined justification that why you been writing that code right so uh it's i spent a lot of time talking to the uh, the core author of mobix javascript which was michelle uh, um and uh, and uh, westrate sorry michelle westrate and i spent a lot of time you know with him to understand how that code works and why the rationale behind writing that code and all the algorithms that went into you know combining things together handling notifications and all those things and then eventually you know implemented it in a format which makes more sense in dart because dart is a different language than javascript and some of the uh pros and cons that you have in javascript are not there in uh, dart for example dart is a compiled language which means you have to define your types up front and you can't really probe into a type and modify its properties at runtime right once you define the structure of an object at compile time that's all you get at runtime you can't really modify the overall structure of an object whereas in javascript you can like you can literally shoot yourself in the foot in javascript <laughs> by modifying whatever you want under the hood um so there are so certain techniques and certain uh, capabilities that are there in javascript are not there in dart so it requires us to kind of map those things properly and ensure things work in a different way uh, as an example right uh, annotations are kind of you know, built in to javascript by using a transpiler so you can use babel as a transpiler and you know add the syntax to your javascript code and then that will get you the decorator feature or the annotation feature uh, in javascript itself whereas in dart annotations is not a uh a compile time feature it's more just a syntactical thing which is parsed out but not really ha- having any runtime equivalent so you have to build the runtime equivalent by writing a code gen package called the mobix code gen right so it looks at your annotations and then generates code on the side which when combined with your original code gives you the functionality that you always wanted so these kind of things you know required some mapping in order to understand you know how do you take something that's in javascript and create a dart equivalent of it and so the same goes for flutter as well right flutter also has its own way of creating its widget hierarchy and uh, you know um, so it was more about you know mapping those things and uh, initially when i started i was the only one writing code right so it was mostly exploration experimentation and it was not the best code you could <laughs> you could say uh, but eventually one more person from finland you know he saw that there is some worth merit to actually having a system like this and he was also a, a mobix javascript user so he kind of helped me out and then we helped you know together created the next uh, version of mobix dart and then from there it kind of you know spread a little more because he was using mobix dart in his uh, production application and so he saw the benefits and then he spread the word and then more people came on board and it was very organically growing on a month by month basis 
uh, I think the first few months I only had about 30 stars on GitHub, and I think after the first year I reached like thousand stars. So it took almost a year wow. to get there. That's amazing. But it took an year to That's get amazing. there. It took an year to get there, right? So, but a lot of other packages, you know, go much faster because people see the value very quickly and they are starting the package very quickly, right? Whereas in case of Mobix Dart, uh, since most people were not familiar with the Mobix JavaScript, uh, it took a long time for them to kind of realize the benefits and see the benefits in action by actually using the package. And that's when you know the, the growth happened. Um, so a lot of times, actually, I think you had to spend time uh, writing nice documentation, creating websites. So I did all of that. I had a lot of examples on the website as well. I created, uh, I gave a few talks on it, and I think that's how I spread the word. But it was a very very slow process. So it's not like suddenly I had so many users and all that. So it was a very slow process. All right, sir. That's great. I it's it's always. um you know good to know that it's it's pretty scary to start sort of start learning a particular language and sort of implementing it and it's it's good that we can maybe start and hope to do something like you've done so learning and implement it and actually work with other people and develop something like this so we hope to yeah but i would act to that and say that you know um, do something which really solves a problem for you right uh, it's not about just contributing to open source by creating a github repo that anybody can do that but what is really important is that if it solves a problem for you then try to abstract the solution for the problem into a package which others can also use because guess what a lot of problems in life are very similar and they're repetitive in nature right even though your problem is seems unique to you it might be a problem to somebody else in a different form and fashion right so if you can extract out your solution into some configuration plus the solution then people can modify the configuration and still apply the same solution right so think in those terms uh, but first and foremost you know have a genuine problem that you need to solve and then think of you know building the package and the ecosystem around it yes so that's that's great um so another this is a let's let's go move on to sort of a light question and something we'd like to know more about you <laughs> okay. sir so um according to you in recent times what is i i would you say is the most exciting project that you worked on recently something really exciting that you've done uh the most recent one is actually learning 3d modeling with blender So I spent uh, my last couple of months uh, learning all the fundamentals of Blender modeling, animation, rigging, um, you know, texturing, materials, and now I'm getting into sculpting also. So I think that's been pretty addictive for me <laughs> and quite therapeutic also. Uh, outside of code, right? Where you're not writing code, it's pure creativity over there and trying to learn a software which is quite different from programming languages and from you know traditionally what you normally do. and i think that to me is quite nice so i'm quite excited about that um before that i was uh, you know working with client projects where we were building you know new systems working with multiple teams and trying to build consensus around those teams and i think that is a tougher problem than writing code guess uh, trust me on that one uh, because you know getting multiple people to agree on something so we, we all build it together is actually a much more challenging problem than simply writing code when you already know what code you need to write for so it was more about defining the problem itself so that the solution could be implemented uh, most of us knew the problem but it was not framed in a way which made sense to everyone and for many of them uh, it was not even a problem at all right so we had to it was like more of salesmanship like how do you sell this problem first so that you get some buy in for people to actually work on it and build a solution together so i think those kind of uh, uh, scenarios are very interesting and kind of really bring out the human behaviors and you see the software development is not about writing code or not about learning technologies or not about working uh, with a specific framework and writing code in it but it's mostly about getting people together to build something which is of good value and high value to the business uh, so software ultimately is a solution to some problem if you identify the problem correctly then the solution will actually be the correct solution um, so getting the problem right and building it right are the two things which i think eventually you will realize right now you're still in the skill development mode where you're learning about how to do things but eventually the how part becomes easy on what to actually build becomes the problem that you need to define at some point um anyway i think we're digressing from the question so of no recent times i would say it's a uh, blender and then before that it's all about consensus building 
Thank you, sir. That's really nice. I mean, Blender is pretty, it's a very fun tool. And sometimes it's, as you said, it's quite therapeutic. So I started it a little bit and explored, made very small simulations, nothing much, a sea, maybe like the sun setting on the sea. It's just very therapeutic yes. to see it. So yes, sir, very much so. So again, like you spoke about design, you like the designing aspect of it or the UI, like you like that particular aspect. So um, if you see Apple, maybe generally, um, Apple seems to be returning to like skeuomorphic design, something very uh, modeling like the real world or how it really looks like. So do you think 3D designs will make a comeback? Do you think in the future that's going to make a comeback? Well, um, it's not really a comeback. It's the fact that uh, now we have augmented reality in the picture. And uh, what it really means is that we want to overlay information on our 3D world which we see through a camera or through some lens, which we fix to our eye, eventually Apple Glass will come out, right? Uh, we're all hoping for that. And um, uh, through a camera system. Ultimately, a lens is just a camera system, right? So when you see something through a camera, your world in front of you is all 3D, which requires, you know, projecting 2D surfaces or, you know, objects in the 3D world. So you have to know what is the ground plane, what is the vertical, you know, how much deeper is the perspective and where is the vanishing point and all of those kind of things, right? So 3D is kind of, you know, uh, inherently there inside your camera view, inside your stereoscopic camera view. So um, it's only natural that we will have interfaces which will require, you know, interacting with the world where the interactions are, you know, in the form of some 3D controls, right? So you would have gestural controls where you just use your hand waves or, you know, some hand gestures to kind of control things. But it could also be, you know, tangible gestures where when you get closer to the 3D object, then you actually get haptic feedback on your device or through something that you wear that is actually turning a knob, for example, right? Uh, imagine, you know, turning the regulator of a fan, right? The dial of a fan to increase the speed or lower the speed. You get some feedback when it clicks between various notches, right? So that's the kind of feedback you can expect in a 3D world as well. Just to tell you that, you know, whatever interaction you did actually resulted in something useful on the system. Right. So if you want to increase something that that click tells you that you actually increased it and the feedback is always allowing us to know that, you know, whatever change we intended actually did happen on the system. So I would say, you know, 3D is just uh, probably a few years away because we still have to kind of define what is the UI in a 3D world. Right. It's not necessarily menus and context menus and you know, right clicking things and, you know, seeing like a list of 100 things to do. Right. It has to be much more uh, task centric. Uh, which is, you know, eliminate all the junk that you see in front of you and only tell me whatever interactions are possible on this little thing that I'm interacting with, right? So that is why I like 3D modeling softwares because if you look at 3D modeling, it's a very complex piece of software and there's so many things you can do in modeling. But by dividing your tasks into very specific things like, you know, object mode or edit mode or sculpt mode or draw mode, you're kind of, you know, demarcating what are the things that you want to do with that particular model, Right. And then define the interactions around it and then limit the surface area of interaction. And when you do that, you know, you are kind of, you know, arriving at what UI to present to the user so they can do the right thing and also the most least required thing that to need to get things done. So I think 3D modeling softwares have a natural equivalent in the um, augmented reality space as well, where they're kind of, you know, mixing 3D objects with the uh, real world and kind of, you know, getting things done. So which is why I'm kind of learning Blender because I feel the principles behind which you know, a software like 3D modeler is created are kind of the same principles which you'll have to use to, you know, apply it to the real world also when AR becomes like a common phenomenon. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> yes, yes, it does. Sir. That's it's, it's, it's inspiring to sort of think about it in that way and putting things into perspective and sort of exploring it like that. So again, through, again, coming back to design, so what are your views on like the evolution of design in tech, because design was always maybe slightly kept away from it or chosen as something quite different. And now it's becoming almost an integral part of anything mm -hmm. that you design to develop. So um, just talk about maybe the evolution of design through maybe your, um, you know, um, career, uh, how it's gone and where do you see it going? Like, do you, it's where do you see it going? So, yeah, design is a very interesting field to start with. Um, because what design is really doing, that field of design is doing, is kind of codifying the human behavior and psychology. Um, what it is really trying to achieve, in my opinion, is to identify how a general class of humans uh, look at certain things and perceive it and then try to interact with it and expect the results out of it. 
right so what risa is really trying to do is reduce the uh, gap between the expectation and the actual result and good design kind of you know minimizes that gap or almost eliminates that gap to the point where the action and the expectation are exactly what you see right that is why visivic software have become so popular we call them visivic what you see is what you get is because the expectation and the act and the result are exactly uh, matching so design is a field where the human expectations around an interface or any uh, system are being met closely to what they expect out of that system uh, we normally interact with systems through screens or you know other kinds of you know in input controls but all those input controls are really trying to you know modify that system in such a way that the end result matches to whatever intention we had about that system uh, if you are in a nuclear plant for example and you have just a dashboard in front of you then you know if you move the slider up it needs to kind of increase the temperature or something right or increase the amount of atoms that are pumped into some kind of uh, system so that is the expectation we have and now it's the responsibility of the system to translate that into the reality which is actually injecting more atoms into the system this is an example right so what the design is really doing is trying to see how do we model this idea of increasing atoms in a system how do we represent the fact that you know this is the current state of the system where we have zero atoms atoms and then you know when i increase the slider and move it up then there are now 100 atoms in the system right so it's all visual feedback uh, over here and it's a feedback driven system and more feedback results in making more actions right uh, when was the last time you did only one button click and you said you know that's the end of all my interaction with the system it never ends that way right never uh, it's never. it's always yes, a step by step process when you click a button yeah. then something else happens and then you do something else and then there is something else and then eventually you, you arrive at a goal right a classic example is when you check out on a cart uh, on amazon or any other e-commerce site you know it's always about adding to the cart going to the cart checking out making the payment and finally getting confirmation yeah you'll have get your items in one or two days whatever right so feedback driven systems is how design systems have evolved over time right initially if you look at the earliest uh, feedback systems that we had it was just a mainframe and a punch card right you would write our code in punch cards and then put that card into the mainframe and the mainframe will spit out something after some time and then you look at the result and see okay oh my god i made a mistake over here so redo the whole process so there was a big feedback loop over here right the, it was a very long feedback loop what design is really doing over time and also because of the evolution of the hardware and you know the speed and the uh, in general the intelligence in the systems that feedback loop has been reduced to the point where the expectation and the result are almost in, uh, instantaneous right the reason why browsers have become so popular and browser based development environments have become so popular is that as a developer my feedback is very small and very quick right whatever i write i immediately see getting refreshed on the website and so i know whatever i have written code for is what is getting produced in the form of a runtime equivalent so the natural evolution of design is to reduce the feedback loop at the same time give enough of uh, abstractions so that we as regular developers and people who are building systems and applications have those abstractions in mind to kind of you know model larger applications uh dashboards or applications on the iphone or on your mobile device or desktop or even control systems and sensors and kiosks and even tvs right there are all different kind of feedback systems and different designs in try to minimize the gap and uh, i think that's where the evolution is going so we are at the stage where we have gotten tired of actually using keyboard and mouse <laughs> now we use touch and even touch will get boring <laughs> after some time and so we want in you know, a voice operated systems and even voice will get boring after some time and we want a combination of them right <laughs> yeah. if you are sitting if you are sitting on your couch and you want to watch tv and you want to switch to a specific channel let's say you are watching netflix and you want to go to amazon prime how long does it take for you to switch between netflix to prime if that's the question i want to ask to the designer of my tv system then he would probably say two buttons right i'll have a netflix button yeah. i'll have a prime button is that the thing is that the end but let's say as a user i am not a netflix user i am using hotstar so now i want a hotstar button too right uh, and eventually there will be a sony button as well and there will be something else button and so on and so forth so do we want a system where the interface is just a bunch of buttons and that system could look very big because you'll be carrying around a gigantic button box where you have to keep switching <laughs> between things right and that's not a yeah. great experience so how do we eliminate that uh, can i just have voice operated controls i'll just talk to the tv and say you know what 
switch to netflix or open prime or you know open hotstar now that's good but the problem with the current voice operated systems is that it doesn't understand what you're talking there is a lot of gap between the tv the receiver and the place where you're sitting right there's almost like a 10 to 12 feet gap let's say and that gap creates uh, you know additional signal to noise problems right so the signal that the tv receives might not exactly be the signal that you uh, uttered from your mouth so that distance also creates a problem so how do you deal and with the words you know? sometimes and the words are also quite different to what yeah. you say yeah the accents could be a problem you know you may not yeah. be speaking english properly you are kind of mixing english and hindi uh, like netflix chalu uh, you know instead of open netflix <laughs> <laughs> right so you you could be mixing multiple languages inside your uh, statements and these things can cause confusion for the for the tv and you know you won't actually get what you want so the natural evolution is to you know kind of increase the error handling of inputs and so that you know there's more resilient and more tolerant of human behaviors and human errors and you know create systems where it feels natural because ultimately we want a conversation like a human being our devices have to become like human beings in terms of understanding what we want and uh, since you can't do that directly right now we have indirect forms of communication keyboard mouse touch voice and so on right it's all very indirect and they're all even if you take voice uh, there are only very specific commands that you have to utter not it's not a fully open ended system right i mean i can't tell a poem and expect the guy to understand what's happening right so you have to talk in specific statements um and things like that so i think uh, with since we're talking about evolution of design i think the design would go to a point where it will be more tolerant to different types of human inputs and make it more conversational and uh, less less uh, burden for us to kind of you know communicate what we want and uh, i think visual paradigms are good but nobody wants a screen in front of them all the time right uh, you already have a screen the tv but it's too far away to touch <laughs> so then you need voice <laughs> yeah. uh, and voice also has to be you know error handling and resilient to you know all the changes so i think it's just a matter of you know how we interact with systems as a programmer obviously keyboard is the best way of writing text uh, i don't think you're going uh, getting away from that uh, even though you have low code systems which you talked about earlier where people can just drag and drop and build things together without writing any code i think there are always situations where we haven't really attracted the problem enough in order to create a drag and drop interface or an interface which doesn't require writing code and i think there's an evolution happening on that front as well which will probably take maybe 10 more years 20 more years and, and uh, so i think that's where design is going it's a convergent field right uh, it's not just visual design it's not just uh, design in terms of changing programming languages and systems i think design is a lot of different things also in terms of creating new hardware like for example neural link right which is a project from uh, elon musk about how do we capture brain signals and inject more brain signals so that we understand what the brain is really doing uh, can we capture the state of the brain and snapshot it so that we can recreate the brain in a different body altogether and enable teleportation let's say <laughs> right so what is teleportation after all you know it's your conscience uh, transported across time and distance yeah. right, right? Uh, so if i can capture a snapshot of your brain and then instantaneously project it onto a different spot in the world which may be you know a miles away in terms of time and distance uh, then you have achieved teleportation right uh, so tra- traveling conscience is what is teleportation and uh, i think that's where evolution will be in the future where uh, a lot of these things will become like so natural that you won't even think about it we will be living in the age of uh, like the gods <laughs> where you are kind of doing interplanetary travel and we are like narada right taking your yes. instrument <laughs> with us and then suddenly appearing at uh, some place creating mischief that's 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 something to really look forward to is a teleportation yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was hoping <laughs> yeah me too <laughs> all right so again coming back to um um maybe projects that us as students have to constantly um we find ourselves in a situation where we're constantly trying to be better there's always competition at um, you know college level you need to be better than your peers so um when it comes to like um okay, maybe you could list out a few sir so what are the different like back end projects that you that you would say or maybe advice a person to sort of take so that you're always a step ahead of the crowd mm-hmm. any yeah so i think system engineering is again uh, a very deep topic and uh, designing a system you know unless requires first of all understanding the system and uh, you can always build what's already there in order to get a better understanding of you know what it takes to build something like that um, 
So I would start with an example that kind of makes a lot of sense. Let's say you are recreating Netflix from scratch, uh, recreating Hotstar from scratch, uh, recreating an e-commerce portal from scratch like Amazon or Walmart or Flipkart, right? Uh, take a problem that's already solved and try to imagine in your own ways, with your own uh, set of knowledge, you know, how would you do it from scratch? And what kind of problems do you think you have to solve in order to build a system like that? Uh, let's take a, a simple example of, let's say, a video streaming solution which is a very, one of my favorite uh, interview questions as well. <laughs> How do you build a video streaming solution when you don't know, when you know that Hotstar and Netflix don't exist yet? So you are living in an age where there is no Netflix, there is no Hotstar, there is no video streaming whatsoever, and mankind has not seen anything of this sort. How do you build it from scratch? What kind of problems do you think you'll have to solve? And if you kind of take, start from that ground zero and try to build up the solution step by step, I think that is what you would have built eventually, a system, right? A system of interconnect, interconnected components which all come together to finally give you what you want. So system design or system engineering is about knowing, you know, what it takes to achieve an end-to-end -end solution. And end-to-end -end could be, you know, multiple backends. Backend need not just be one thing, right? It could be multiple things. Within a backend, if you open the box, you will see again there are lots of other things also. So um, I would say, you know, take a problem which already solved and try to, you know, redo the problem yourself. And try to you know break it down into its subcomponents. Um, so I don't know if you guys or if your audience is familiar with the concept of Fourier transform. Yes, so yeah, right? we have it. <laughs> yes. What is Fourier transform? It's actually a breakdown or a decomposition of a signal to its individual components, right? Uh, we get the classic uh, sine wave or you know a audio signal, and you want to break it down into its individual sine waves, right? What that is really trying to do is identify the ingredients of the final result, right? It's like tasting a dish and knowing what ingredients went into it. So that's what you need to look at. You know, look at Netflix as a prepared dish. Now, what will it take to identify the ingredients of Netflix and try to build it yourself from scratch? And in doing so, I think you will naturally identify all the pieces that you have to come, uh, that have to come together. Okay, I need, uh, if I were to build like a video streaming solution, what is video streaming really? I am recording a live event and I am projecting it onto people's devices, right? So I need a camera to record it. And then once I record it, I need to relay it to a server so that it transmits that video data to all of its connected devices. So, and since this is happening in real time, I need like really low latency systems. I need a way to encode things really fast on my camera and then project it and then send it over to the server. And from the server, I need a lot of uh, bandwidth to handle like millions of connections and then <laughs> keeping those connections alive and then transmitting data to them, right? Um, so what kind of problems do you think you'll have? You'll have problems of network loss, you'll have problems of scalability, you will have, you'll be running out of disk space to store the video, you'll run out of uh, memory to store all the connections, uh, you may have to you know, provision a lot of uh, hardware to kind of handle it, um, and you'll have to build a lot of fault tolerance into your client code also, right? Your application which actually shows your video stream. Uh, what if we have a network loss? What do you show? You just crash or and burn or, you know, you say that, okay, I lost connection and, you know, probably replay the last 15 seconds in loop or something like that, right? Yeah. So something of that nature. So every stage has a bunch of problems, which it creates because of a problem of a downstream uh, step, right? So how do we kind of, you know, smooth out all the problems so that as an end user, I don't really see the ripple effects. I only see something at a very, very high level. And then as the system heals itself, you know, by recovering from all those failures, you get back to a state which the user expects. So try to think in those terms. I know it's too abstract uh, and maybe it's kind of not meaningless to what, no, I'm, what I'm saying. Was, um, no, it was really good. So like the way you gave examples so that how we can tackle it. I think the most important and the most best way that you've given us advice, at least over this right now, is you've given us examples, very fun examples, like teleportation or something like food. Yeah. It's Taking it down to such simple concepts, it's easier for us to grasp. So that that's thanks. I mean, it's helped us a lot. It's okay, helped me, cool. and I, yeah, it'll definitely help the listeners and whoever's listening to this podcast. Like yeah. um, the way you're you simply you're sort of bringing it down into like easier bits for us to understand. Because sometimes I guess like when we are approaching tech in any way, it's it's always quite intimidating. We don't know how to go about it. So 
when when we get it broken down in in simpler forms something that we can relate to it it really helps us and i feel like it motivates us as well yeah, so like yeah, thank yeah. you so that's that's cool. really important so yeah just to summarize our discussion i've been talking for too long so that i want to summarize it also so that it kind of easy to kind of you know paraphrase what i'm saying so sure, identify yes. identify any individual system that you are excited about and you, you want to recreate from scratch break it down into its individual components try to rebuild it yourself and in that process you will learn all the back ends and front ends and uh, that's the best way to learn in my opinion all right so again this is another question i think developers sort of seem to have a problem with so do you think um wasm will be the future of web lab, web application development do you see a scope for it like what do you think what are your thoughts on it so yeah i mean uh, so historically we need to understand why wasm or in a web assembly uh, is actually becoming popular and it's popular because web is a platform which is available everywhere right the reach is fantastic almost everyone has a browser on their device right now so in terms of uh, people using a platform this is probably the only platform that everyone uses uh, and undisputed right um, so it makes sense to create and uh, try to bring back all those applications and software that we have built on other platforms onto the web right so we have spent a quite a few decades in creating desktop applications and obviously a decade or so in creating mobile applications right so but what has happened in the process is these applications have been built on a different platform some of them are super useful like microsoft word and autodesk and maya and all that and they are almost impossible to use on the web unless you create a new version of the same software and make it web friendly right so what if you could take the existing piece of code or existing softwares which we are already invested as a mankind probably you know hundreds of thousands of man years and bring it back to a platform which is being available and available everywhere right so wasm is a compiled format a compiled uh, format which uh, allows you to bring your native code in onto the web by doing some kind of a mapping so that you know the ui of the native application renders in the form of opengl code or webgl on your browser and all the business logic which runs in c and c++ and other languages you know when compiled to a common intermediate format like wasm which can also be interpreted by the browser so now it can run as javascript uh, inside the browser runtime right so that's what we're really doing like we don't want to waste the efforts of mankind right we already spent decades building this desktop software and uh, what is more natural for us is to just find a bridge that will help us bring all those softwares onto a platform that is available everywhere so that is really the motivation behind wasm right the web assembly um so in the future obviously there's a lot of uh, you know um, bright things in uh, for for wasm because it's only natural for us to you know do it as mankind and humanity where we don't want to you know again redo the whole thing right uh, we just want to just be lazy and then bring everything that's already there yes sir. <laughs> thank you and um with this we come to our very last question again so this is a very abstract question this is very personal and this is something that we'd like you to um give us an insight into so if your younger self were listening to this particular podcast what would you tell yourself yeah your young self and what would what advice would you give yourself so <laughs> um see i think uh, the young person of today you know is different from the young person of 20 30 years back Uh, so there is a contextual difference altogether right uh, you guys are living in a stage where uh, information is more freely available and anything you want or want to learn is available on the youtube or in the form of you know blogs and videos elsewhere on the internet right so knowledge is freely available today which wasn't the case 20 30 years back so don't limit yourself to things which you can only buy in the form of books or what can be learned in the form or whatever is being taught in the institutions right if you care about a certain idea or if you want to become an artist but you're doing engineering or if you are doing artistry and want to learn about math then you know there is no nothing that's stopping you right there is it's not a black and white uh, world anymore just because you've chosen a certain field to pursue doesn't mean that's the only field you should think about and learn and uh, just whatever passions you have can still be explored only because knowledge is freely available if you want to become a rocket scientist but you are just a uh, bcom dropout <laughs> uh, but your aspirations are very high 
then nothing's stopping you, right? Uh, it'll take more effort, obviously, because you have to, again, go back and learn the fundamentals of math and integration, differentiation, and all those things. But time is on your side. And if you think time is on your side, you can learn pretty much anything that you have. And uh, that's what I'll tell the younger self, that uh, don't be limited by what's being taught in the schools and colleges. Uh, if you really care about certain topics and if you want to learn more about them, then it's up to you to kind of build a learning path for yourself. And knowledge is already there. It's just a matter of you know finding the path to it. Uh, and the path can be you know very long-winded, right? Uh, but ultimately, there is a path. And knowing that there is a path is confidence enough to you know start exploring it yourself, however dark it may seem like. <laughs> um, so that's what I'll tell primarily to my younger self. And I also say uh, be more uh, risk-taking. Uh, until the age of 30, I think you can take risks like crazy. You know, fail multiple times, not just uh, in terms of effort, but also in terms of monetary failures. Right? You could invest money into something and not get back anything in return, which is still fine because until 30, I think you have a lot of uh, cushion to kind of you can rely on, you know, your family support and other things to kind of, kind of get back to and bring back to you know your original self. But uh, once you cross a certain age, it becomes very hard to have the financial cushion and also explore and be very risk taking. So until a certain age, I think be open to the idea of failing very miserably and then getting back up on your feet and again trying something else. Uh, so those are the two things because since again, as I said, that knowledge is freely available. So if you fail in something, you can always learn from failures and again, pick up something else. So nothing's stopping you. I think those are the two things which I would say. Be more risk-taking and uh, uh, pursue your passions, however crazy it might be. All right. Um, listeners, I hope everyone listening to the podcast can take those two things that Sir said and implement it in our lives. I think it's it's always scary to take risks and um, it's always intimidating, yeah. but I, I guess we can afford to make mistakes now. And it's as it's, it's, it's another way to sort of learn, making mistakes and learning and then getting better at it. Yeah. So thank you for that, sir. And with that, we come to the end of our session with Mr. Pavan Podila. Thank you so much for joining us, sir. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. So there you go, everyone. Another enthralling and very informative interview. I definitely enjoyed chatting with sir and learned a lot of how to implement various things and how to go about it and how to go about my journey in tech. And I hope and I'm sure it does help you listeners as well. If this podcast helped you, which I'm sure it did, do share it with your family, friends and colleagues. I'm interested in this topic and ask them to give it a listen. We look forward to having you join us next time. Until then, goodbye.